Welcome to our weekly podcast of Womankind Collective with me, Lou Hawkins-Thompson and me, Jinty Sheeran. Come and join us as we embark on a fun and educational journey, talking to experts and advocates on subjects that are often taboo. So go and get the kettle on and settle in for a chat and probably a lot of laughter along the way. In this week's episode, we meet Jasmine Slay, a professional declutterer who has spent 10 years in other people's homes and cupboards. She has written a brand new book, Being Owned, a decade in professional decluttering, saying she wanted to sensitively reflect the world of tackling belongings when people are at crisis level, challenging the stigma and misunderstandings around people who are overwhelmed by their possessions. In the book collective, we discuss chapter eight, baby blues, perinatal care and the price of motherhood. Find out how we are getting on with our bravissimo WI this week. And finally, we will have a quote for you. We've also got some comments coming up now. And we've had so much love for Annie last week, didn't they we? They all like a bit they of were Annie's coming in fashion. Thick and fast, those comments. They were. So we've got Angelina not on Insta. She says, loved the Annie episode today. Listened whilst packing my suitcase in brackets, cue reshuffling of accessories in my colours. <laughs> I hope you're going somewhere nice. Me too. And on our YouTube channel, Amanda Clark commented, fab, love a bit of Annie. Ooh, not your usual menopause, said yet another brilliant episode. Thank you. Off to my, sort my wardrobe. I love Annie's coat in that photo. For once, I'm bang on trend with my bright pink coat. And Rachel likes the look of our Swedish semlors. She's also tidied her jumpers and found a long lost favorite jumper I love it when that happens I think yeah you see we're starting starting off a thing here aren't yeah, we yeah we are and Aileen Aileen yeah Aileen oh god Aileen I you know I have to say Aileen even sent us a I little know. little thing that how to say her name I know. <laughs> the on, lovely Luke. Aileen <laughs> said lovely fashion and body confidence tips from um Annie from my life and lipstick thanks Annie and Mrs. Menacles, lovely Mrs. Menacles said, I'm hashtag team comfy all the way. I have to dress according to my usual size and shape. I have a 33 inch inside leg, for example. I gave up on bras years <laughs> ago and there's not much to swing. <laughs> I love that. Brilliant. And an insufficient energy to swing anything. <laughs> I have a sewing machine and I am not afraid to use it. She also sent us some very useful information on how you can adjust your bras. Yes, which That's we can share knowing. with you at some stage. And Aileen, Boblin again, did you know that bras are actually manufactured to last three months of daily Ooh, wear only? I didn't know that. Another special from this waste society. I'm like you though. I wear my 32 double H bra bras until they are passed ready for recycling. I recycle mine at Love, Love Bravissimo. I love Bravissimo, she says. They are. They are pretty good. Great company. Yeah, they are. Neil um, said, uh, on form as ever, guys, Annie was fun and made lots of sense. Well, she, she did. Does. She didn't always make sense after a vodka. And Ness Warwick says on Insta, I just caught up with you two with the last two episodes. Brilliant stuff. 
except for the government credit card spend. That makes me raging mad now. Mm, I know. Sorry about that. Um, Razia um, asked if sperm banking is rhyming slang. I don't know, but I think it's a new (laughs) one. I think we've just started something. And the lovely Jill McLagan um, massage on our Facebook page said, great episode, ladies. Although there were studies being done on the length of a penis during the Second World War. What the actual fuck? How did they find any men? They are were mostly off fighting. It just beggars belief. Yeah, we're with it does. You on that. It does, do We are with you. And and finally, another one from Razia who left us a message, which Ooh. I'm going to play now. I just wanted to say that I do listen to all the shows, and while I'm listening to the podcast, I'm always like thinking of things that I'm going to say to you about them afterwards. And then you know, obviously, it's a Sunday, and I'm cleaning and shopping and cooking and what have you, and I completely forget um because and there's just so much content but i just wanted to say um that i really enjoyed the style person today um i've really struggled because i've put on about four inches on my waist um and none of my clothes fit me and it's true you open the wardrobe and you just want to die um so i've been buying really cheap clothes that do cover my my belly and i've been taking stuff out of my wardrobe and sticking it in the garage um, so that I can, um, you know, open the wardrobe and have things actually fit me. And I've been feeling quite depressed about this. I've been feeling really down about it. Like, why do I have to do this? So hearing her suggest that, you know, to say that only have things in your wardrobe that fit you was actually, it made me feel better about where I'm at. Um, yeah, and it was a it was fascinating chat. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for that. Loved the quote, the Michelle Obama quote. Really, really loved that. Thank you so much. Um, I hope you're well, and I'll speak to you soon, my darling. Bye. Oh, what a lovely voice she has as well. I know. I think that she's she's right. It's so, it's quite good to hear that from Annie, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Know that you're not on your own. It, yeah, it gives you... Um, permission thank you yeah. you could tell i was struggling for the yeah. word then i was gonna she say, hasn't had any sleep no i haven't had any sleep but i'm having my ginty's just made me my second coffee Very of the day coffee strong yes coffee. so lou how has your week been well i got a bit furious this week um, and the french have got even more furious Ooh. than me so have you heard of the vendee globe no right not my- at all my husband pointed this out to me. He, he, he sent the story over. So the Vendee Globe is a sailing race and it was founded in 1989. It is a single-handed, non-stop, round-the-world yacht race. Oh, okay. Yeah. More people have actually been into space than have finished the Vendee Globe. So it's got a real... Not just won it, finished Finished it. it. Wow. So it's got a reputation in the sailing world as the world's toughest sailing race. So since 1992, the Vendee Globe has taken place every four years. So the race sets off and as start and finish port is Les Sables um, on the Atlantic coast in France. Okay, so that's okay. where they go, go from. That's where they come back. Mm-hmm. Always happens in November because it avoids the west, worst of the re- weather in the Southern Ocean. So set the scene there. Okay. Yes. So the, the Vendee Globe has now been hit by controversy. Why, Lou? Why, Lou? Tell us the, why. The outcry in France, they are calling it the motherhood penalty. So the yachts and the skippers for the race are always sponsored by large corporate conglomerate companies. One of the skippers is a lovely lady and she's called Clarisse Crema. 
Oh, what a lovely I name. Know. Clarice. And she has been dropped by her sponsor, which is Bank Populaire, meaning the People's Bank, one of the largest banks in <gasps> France. But Clarice is a great sailor. She she uh, achieved 12th place in the 2020, 2021 to 21 edition of the Vendée Globe with a time with a time of 87 days and 2 hours and 24 minutes. So she actually finished it and that was a world record for a single-handed wow. non-stop monohull circumnavigation by a woman. Wow. So massive type. So she's she is the woman. She's she top of her game. Yeah. So the reason you may ask that Clarice what, what is the reason has been dra- dropped by Bank Populaire because she's recently given birth. So she gave birth in November 2022. She'd informed her sponsors back mm. in 2021 that she was, you know, going to start a family. Mm. They promised her they remain committed to her, but they've now replaced her. And there's still two full seasons of racing left. So Clarice says she most definitely can catch up on all the miles she needs. But Bank Populaire have dropped her. The French are now up in arms about Good. Bank Populaire. Good. And this motherhood penalty, they have put... Yeah. on her um, and I thought it was really interesting because obviously we, you know I mean we live by the coast so there's a lot of sailing on but this is like the most famous yacht race yeah. in the world and the most difficult one this woman has finished it and she set a world record she is more than capable and she wants to do and she wants it's not like she's sitting back and thinking no. I'm, I'm gonna have a little she's break a 33 here. year old woman at the top of her game and I just thought, there we go again. And and it, what it does lose this, it brings this um, motherhood penalty into the fore. This yep. is every single woman, whether you're going back to your job, it doesn't um, matter. Teaching, whether yeah. you're going, where, whatever you've had to take time off, this is what you have to put up with. Yeah, I, I, there's a penalty either way, isn't yep. there? Or Absolutely. you haven't kept up with your training because yep. you no. Because I've been birthing a baby. Yeah. I, you haven't kept up with this. There's always going to be something. Yeah. There's no allowances given, are there? Nope. And yet they moan about that the, the, the um, birth rate has gone down. Well, fucking hell. It's because you're getting pe- penalised exactly, for it. For every single route yeah. you take. Yeah. It's just maddening, isn't yeah, it? It is maddening. So that that is the controversy in the yachting world. Would anyone else sponsor her? Is anyone else looking at sponsoring her? I'd say fuck them. I, exactly. The people's bank. But obviously because there's only so many sponsors that will sponsor because obviously the boats are huge and, you know, usually the boats are built to a certain specific mm. standard by the sponsors all along. So go fund me. Let's, let's open a go, go fund, fund me, me for Clarice. And for what Clarice. a beautiful, if nothing else, for the most beautiful yes. name and the, and the most, you yes. know, aren't one of the most arduous female um, sailors that we have. Yeah. So, yeah, that was my week. So I was furious yeah. at, at the sailing Absolutely world. Absolutely furious. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad the French are furious. Let's, uh, no, you know, I love let's bring they, it to the they fore. They do get very furious. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah. How, how was your week? I, I had a good week. Um, I've got a couple of things. So first of all, just because this caught my eye yesterday, the Beeb have announced a new documentary um, and for the Dame Deborah James that we read her, her book, didn't we, last year. So the podcaster, author and cancer campaigner known as Bow Babe died um, surrounded by her family last year in June. Um, she was only 40 years old and some of you read her book along with us, How to Live When You Could Be Dead, um, <clears throat> for our season five book. Um, well, the BBC have just confirmed the new documentary, Bow Babe, in her own 
words, which was filmed with James, her husband, in order to bring the extraordinary and inspiring final five years of her life to our screens, which will be on, it will air in about spring, so not long, probably in the next couple of months. Oh, God, I'm going to have to go and get some... Get your tissues. I'm going to go up to Tesco's and get some extra boxes. Exactly. But that's brilliant, isn't it? That'd be amazing. Um, Moving on, Lou. You know, we've had to talk about JOMO, FOMO, all those sort of oh, things. Oh, yeah, we did a little thing on it. We you, did. Yeah. We did. Have you ever heard of ROMO? No. Relief of missing out. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah, well, I, I'm always relieved. It's a little bit like joy yeah. of missing out, JOMO, but... It's it's they've done <clears throat> they've been doing some surveys on this. It's a trend that seems to be gaining ground amongst in, internet u- users, uh, which often involves avoiding the news as much as possible. So it's not mm. about going out. Or I, anything. Could, I get it's just that completely. Amusing. British and American researchers specializing in media analysis have attempted to understand this phenomenon in more detail by conducting a survey, the results of which were recently published in the journal uh, Political Communication. The survey was conducted in the UK and involved in-depth interviews with 43 people who have voluntarily chosen to cut themselves off from news sources and who who are now rarely rarely consult the news. Um, less than one uh, once a month or never not at all um so according to the study lou these individuals represent about seven percent of the british population um and according to the researchers the choice to carefully avoid this type of news is mainly explained by the desire to escape from news deemed anxiety provoking but also because this content could lead to feeling feelings of powerlessness. Um, The study authors say our interviewees see news as dominated by stories about crime, terrorism um, and partisan bickering, yep, uh, which generates not only fear but also feelings of uncertainty and a lack of control or agency. Do you get that, Lou? Yeah, yeah, I I don't, you know, I I very rarely, I used to avidly... I both got Romo. Yeah, I used to avidly listen to the news because I'd like to know what's going on in the world and now I, I watch it and I just, it really, really depresses me because you feel so, you do, I do feel so helpless Yeah. when you look at the stories being told and what's happening around the world. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I think there is, there's a difference between being blinkered mm. and actually sort of, you know, voluntary, mm. you know, choosing what you... Absolutely. I think you because you can choose now you can go on the internet and you can put your choices into the news can't you so only like nice things or things about women or things that come up um so yeah totally totally get that um and this other thing caught my eye Lou and I thought of you there's a new book out called fix your fatigue have you heard of it I have not, but you know I've been fatigued. Lou this week has been particularly fatigued. You're plagued by insomnia still, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Trying everything. Um, But it's not always when you um, haven't slept, is it? It's just fatigue generally, which I know a lot of you. My bones are tired. Yeah. Like you've been drugged almost sometimes, isn't it? I remember that. That I had that feeling um, in perimenopause. So this new book called Fix Your Fatigue is by nutritionist Karina Antram. And she notes that certain personality types are prone to feel more tired, pointing to research Greenberg 2002, that found that people with any of these four key characteristics are more prone to fatigue and burnout. So do you want to know what these four are? Go on. Are they ginger hair? Yes. 
ginger hair and can't can only see out one eye yeah that's, that's, it. that's it i can't anymore. I tick the boxes so the first one is um the supporter are you someone who gives 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 only to find you've got no time or energy left to take care of yourself that's being the supporter and as you as you'd expect results in tiredness there's the mood depleter you focus on past events, ruminating on what you could have done differently or failed at. Um, Antrim explains, as a result, you struggle to root yourself in the present day when your brain is so busy thinking about the past and beating itself up. It's no surprise that you're exhausted by lunchtime. The next one, the futuristic. If the mood depleter is all about the past, the futuristic is, you've guessed it, the same pattern, but about the future. You worry so much about what will happen next that you can't be in the present moment. The overthinker, Antram says, the overthinker is always in fight or flight mode, which uses up a lot of energy. You often give thoughts far too much time and attention, creating fear or anxiety about what is to come. Last one, mm -hmm. the captive empaths beware. Antram says, if your family or friends are going through a tough time, you have a tendency to absorb these emotions. This can eat away at energy. Basically, you're like a sponge. Mm. So you're soaking up other people's negative vibes or, and mishaps um, when you're carrying not only your own emotions, but everyone else's, you're bound to feel wiped out. Um, Karina goes on to say, it's normal to feel many of these, um, not just one. We may naturally fall into one personality type, but the likelihood, likelihood is we may fall across some or all of them. Yeah, you see, I, 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 don't, I just don't know because now I journal and I do gratitudes and I do thoughts and I do a to-do list. I've got my little journal I've made myself. I do from Jin Jun Hin. She was all about yes. like, the to-dos and crossing them off. Well, I did it. I've done it every day. I do a little to-do with three things I need to do or four. My thoughts for the day. And then my three gratitudes. And I do that every day now. So I think my past and my present is okay because I've got that under control. Yeah. I, th I do think, I'm still an overthinker, but I don't think that's what's over-tiring me, no, I wouldn't say. No, because you've probably always I been a bit like my that. bloody hormones again. I, I think most of it comes down to hormones, doesn't it, at this yeah. time in our lives? Have you ever asked yourself the question, why have I kept that? Ever looked around your home and wondered if your belongings are helping you or overwhelming you? If so, it might be time to reflect upon your relationship with your possessions. And one thing you'll realize after today's episode is that you are not alone in feeling conflicted about letting go of stuff. Today's guest is a professional declutterer, Jasmine Slay, who has spent 10 years in other people's homes and cupboards, where sometimes there is no room for people to sleep in their beds, sit on their sofas, or even access their kitchens. Did you know that 3 million people are estimated to have a hoarding disorder in the UK, but only 5% are known to support agencies, while an even smaller number will allow someone across the threshold of their home to help them? Since setting up her decluttering business, Change Your Space, Jasmine and her team have protected tenancies, unearthed treasured items, reduced fire risks and released burdens, not only reclaiming rooms, but helping people to reclaim their lives. Jasmine Slay established the Devon-based Change Your Space in 2013. 
Since then, she has worked in over a thousand homes. She has a degree in psychology and counselling and a postgrad certificate in change management. Jasmine is a regional expert for addressing chronic disorganisation and hoarding and works actively with public health and welfare agencies. In her brand new book, Being Owned, a decade in professional decluttering, she says she wanted to sensitively reflect the world of tackling belongings when people are at crisis level. Jasmine wants to challenge the stigma and misunderstandings around people who are overwhelmed by their possessions. We're all about challenging stigmas. We are. We? Welcome, Jasmine. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you. Firstly, we know that you're really keen to distinguish what you do as a professional declutterer in a crisis environment compared to the before and after type of programs uh, we see pre presented on our TV screens and also on social media. Um, it's a big question, I know, but essentially, can you explain um, a bit about what you do? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all professional declutterers in that, um, in that world. Um, everyone stops me now and says, Oh, Stacey Solomon's on the television. Uh, <laughs> that's what you do, isn't it? And um, I find myself, you know, I love those programs. They are great. I can't watch them. I think it's fair to say. I hear they give people good tips and things, but um, it does feel quite different what I do. But we are all in that broad church, which is helping people address their homes and their belongings. Um, often with these programs, I think what, what uh, strikes me is they're, Budgets are quite large, the teams are very large, they can take everything out of a home and put it into a warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they can, the TV ca cameras are following the family around and, and, and getting the stories. Um, and there is a hero's journey from, you know, the, uh, them arriving at the door right up to them transforming the place and walking away and, and lives are changed forever in terms of the homes changed mm. forever. And for me, what's ever so slightly different in what I do and it's still belongings, it's still people's homes. So for that, it is the same. Um, I'm working with clients that are very, very nervous. So they just about are brave enough to pick up the phone to me, let alone they're nervous about me crossing the threshold of their home. And like you say at the top there, I've been working with people for 10 years, thousands of homes I've been into that have been um, in many cases dangerously full. So they're nervous to have me. They're definitely not going to allow yeah. <laughs> my clients would never let a TV crew in. Um, and it is just usually me, maybe my colleague um, and the person working in the home within the space that they're in, um, in a way that's careful and gentle. And actually, maybe the next session is more tricky than the next or it's, it's less of a linear direction yeah. of travel and is much more confined um, in, in the home. So it's both psychologically much more intense, mm -hmm. but also physically much more uh, closed in those, than those programmes. But they are great and people do love them. So yeah. for that I'm grateful, but it is quite different to working with people who, who are at crisis level. And there's a paragraph in the introduction, Jasmine, of your book, which, which we've, we've read, um, which really got to us and is so important because it tells us how there is so much more going on here than just hoarding stuff. I mean, we've just sort of touched on it there. You say in the trade, we say that it is rarely about stuff. What are we up, what, what we are up against um, are the entrenched coping mechanisms of self-soothing techniques that the client may be unaware of and have been operating under for many years. 
I can stand in the mire of seemingly useless stuff that is hindering them and putting them at risk. And we know it is a manifestation of their inner world. It It does. It really, it's really powerful. Mm. So would you say your experience in psychology and counseling are essential for this job? I think um, it was helpful that um, when I did my degree studies, my dissertation was on coping strategies. And so I had a little bit of an idea that we we can have coping strategies that are there to help us, aren't they? They're they're there to defend us from the worst of worry and stress and trauma. Um, But that actually they can in themselves start to work against us. Mm -hmm. So if we've got good coping strategies and that this is not the sum total of of where sort of hoarding behaviors start to escalate to the point where they're not safe but if we have we know ourselves if we've got coping strategies that are not uh, working and actually can start having an impact on us that that isn't that helpful and there is a little bit of a fine line and in a way we can't you know I learned very early on with my psychology studies that obviously we can't stop things happening to us you know life happens people have terrible losses they have all sorts of health issues um, and trauma and all things are are thrown their way but how then they um, the behaviors to cope and get over those things have a big impact on the rest of their Mm -hmm. lives and their relationships and their homes and so on and so forth so it it was very useful for me to know um, that the brain is not always our friend (laughs) but it's not defining who the person is um, it is just ways in which they are behaving to try and feel better about themselves. And we all just want that. And if I suppose it really helps when you go into really full homes is to remember there is a person underneath all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got to love people to do, you know, specialist declustering. Um, there is a person underneath this who has interests, has hopes um, and ambitions and um, has a you know some brilliant stories to tell beyond the trauma and the difficulty that they're currently facing and have faced in the past so knowing that you've got a chance of glim- glimpsing that is helpful but working with those habits those coping strategies to start to unravel some of the that that behavior that's starting mm-hmm. to impact on their health that's our only we can't t- turn back the clock yeah. and make those things not happen what we can only do is help them go forward with new techniques to manage that stress and and difficulty. And I guess for you, just thinking about it and listening to you there, it's a real privilege, isn't it? The job that you're doing um, for the trust to be built with with that client as well. It is a real privilege, um, especially as you mentioned right at the top, it's such a hidden (coughs) issue. So, you know, sometimes we're going into homes where nobody else has been in for years. Um, And certainly in terms of, touching stuff <laughs> sounds mm. really strange and I always sort of say to people I know this sounds you know it's good it's a strange job because I'm coming in and I'm going to be going into the cupboards you know and I will put my hand on things that they haven't touched for 10 years maybe yeah. they don't know what's in that box and it could be a memory that's they'd almost forgotten about and it will instantly come come back so that's a really intimate sort of position to be in mm. um I mean, I did obviously for a long time thought about being a counsellor and um, I'm just too practical to be a, <laughs> to be a counsellor. <laughs> so, but this is the, the perfect combination is that actually yeah. people do tell you all sorts when you're in, in their homes. 
not just the stories related to the pictures they've got on display that's for everybody, but the things that are hidden in the back of cupboards that they haven't looked at for a long time. They will tell you all sorts of things. You have to be a good holding place for that. And help. and you're you're working with them, aren't you? Not like again going back to the original question about the um, difference between the sort of some of the programs we see. A lot of the time, they they the owners of the house are sent off somewhere, and the, the declutterer just goes in. I mean, you you can't you can't do that. I mean, that would be so detrimental to somebody that's you know that's got a mental health uh, problem, wouldn't it? So you've got to work oh, yeah. with them. And, Absolutely, which yeah. is why I find those. You know, when they go into the home, they go right. We're going to put some shelves here. We're going to do this. And, so, and obviously, objectively, in terms of space management, that's it's a fantastic set of skills to have. But when you're working, so it's all about permission um, because we're trying to instill with them a sense of control of their own home we want them to engage with their belongings in a way that's not frightening their own decision making their own agency yes and you can't do that by saying well we're obviously going to put this over here and we're and also i just would say i'm so long in the tooth with it i'm such a <laughs> veteran <laughs> professional organizer now i never presume where people you know there's certain places that it's Kind of sensible to have your cups and your plates and things like that but i never presume what people want to keep keep and what they would want in a certain place and also it only makes my life more difficult because unless it's done in that very careful way where they can see where yeah. everything is going i'll only get the calls that ask where something is <laughs> so, but the actual reality is the feelings we leave people with that they were able to make decisions about their their belongings they were able to engage with them they were able to find things they thought were lost and it wasn't frightening is the most important thing that will mean that they will sort out again off their own steam yeah the, the having a blue bag clear bag and a bin bag and knowing which charity to drop it off obviously we're experts in that but there's almost secondary to the psychological barriers that people have had in, in yes. doing their stuff. Yeah, that's so important, mm. isn't it? And is, is this why you wrote the book, really? What made you want to write a book about your experiences? Yeah, probably being irked by being told the Stacey Donovan program. If I'm really honest, probably just a little bit of combination of realizing that what stayed with me about my work are not the things that people imagine so I mm. say right up top don't I in the introduction that people say oh tell me what's the worst job you've ever done and, I, and it was very telling for me that there's a story very early on uh, with Darren when I say I pop in and um, my colleague who's got a really good working relationship with Darren was at the top of the stairs in an old wardrobe and they were putting on waistcoats and hats, um, sorting it Brilliant. out and having a right old giggle. And um, I just knew that is what we do. That is yeah. absolutely what we do. And people think that decluttering is all about, we're very excited about letting 20 bags of clothing. We do sometimes get very excited about 20 yeah. bags of clothing coming out of the home. But essentially we're about people re-engaging in their belongings. And because I knew the journey that gentleman had been on, you know, not being able to get in his front door when we first met him, so nervous, lots of bridge building, working gradually to the point where he's having a laugh about the contents of the back of his cupboard that wow. he hasn't been in for years. That's what really makes That's us progress, great. isn't it? Yeah. So I wanted to capture some of those, and they are the client stories. I'm not the how to 
queen as we've quite and as, as no and as you said the hero's journey isn't it mm. they're the heroes of their own journey and it, it's it's amazing it's an amazing book it really is we've we've loved it haven't we Lou? yeah and I mean when we were reading your book um we, we were struck by the, well, there's some amazing stories in there, but we were struck by the enormous emotional load that having so much stuff can put on a person. And, and I know, Jasmine, you don't like the word declutterer, but more coach and, and coaching clients and taking back control, making decisions and steering. How do you build the relationship with your clients and help them reclaim their homes and your team? Because you talk about your team as well, don't you? Yeah, they're all, um, I didn't, select my team based on people who approached and said I like to organize people (laughs) (laughs) I chose people who like people and are kindly and then all the the organizational skills come with and especially given that we're in usually quite chaotic environments where yeah you've got to like people um you do have to have a lot of hope it's not just like I said early doors in that introduction because it's the manifestation of people's sort of inner world um, it's not just the, the stuff that can feel overwhelming in terms of you know, you've got to have a kind of a plan in your mind of how it's going to work um, and that you're led by incremental sort of gains you're not a perfect that we're not perfectionists that are looking to just make show homes or anything like that mm-hmm. um, and like you say the patients that they're going to set the pace yeah. so you've got to have hope that you we're going to have a good direction of travel and <coughs> some practical skills of making sure that <laughs> though they're sorting it looks better at the end of yeah. a and session. safer safer for them as yeah. well isn't it? it's all yeah. about their safety yeah yeah and and I suppose you know within that that you've you go in and everyone's an individual aren't they um and we hear about a lot of these individuals in I know names changed and and all that <clears throat> excuse me to protect identities and things but so in in each chapter there's a, a real story with a wonderful insight into into your job and their world so can we ask you about a few of these um stories we've already spoken um you've mentioned uh, about Darren mm. um but we've got Anne here the land grab um she had a large house with many bedrooms um but she was not making herself a priority was she can you just explain a bit because I think this will resonate with a lot of our listeners actually yeah we see this such a lot and that's why when um because like you say it's not one story actually there had been several uh, of these sort of situations yeah. that I've been into usually private work going into larger homes um and just realizing that all of the um, nice rooms in the house were being dedicated as guest rooms for family that do come and visit but not as often as you would think and and it it felt to me as an, a neutral outside person who's only interested in the client right in front yeah. of me of course is that she was rather squeezing herself into the darkest gloomiest corner of the home um, to do all of her office work and her crafts and and things like that and it felt like like you say we are, uh, you know, mothers, uh, and now, then she was a grandmother. Everyone else was a priority, and I, I understand that. Mm. In terms of the physical space, they'd be mortified, I'm sure, to know that she was not serving herself very well at all, mm. and that she perhaps could could give herself permission. And I think this is, you know, a key point. I think with a couple of the stories, is it's about permission 
you know, it's there, but they just need that validation that it's okay, actually, to perhaps claim one of the bigger rooms with the natural light for your space. Yeah. Um, And she mulled it over and she did go for one of the larger rooms. Good. I was really pleased. But I did understand, but it was about, yeah, just a neutral view to say, oh, you could could have that room <laughs> yeah and it's giving her permission isn't it yeah, almost it is. yeah. yeah and I think um a lifetime of caring for others and putting um others first which you know is a lot of women isn't it um we're mm. not used to that we're not used to thinking actually what do I want yeah what can I yeah what can I do yeah and, and I think another one um that really resonated will resonate with a lot of our listeners is, is Karen and so um she kept all her children's possessions, the clothes, the drawings, almost almost as keepsakes, hadn't she? Um, and you give some good tips here about keepsakes. Can you share a little bit of that with us as well, please, Jasmine? Yeah, of course. I mean, again, like you say, um, when you get to a sort of stage where you're having to sort out your, your children's things, maybe they've moved out or they're just at a different juncture of life. I found a lot of clients, every item of clothing that um, their child had worn every exercise book they scribbled in um, everything that they'd made had been kept special because at that point it was kept because it, it it was a, you know part of them no tra- necessary trauma or anything like that just normal yeah. life just accumulating that way but when it comes to a suitable point to review belongings it's I just found it was you know again permission to say well actually what is what is special to you in terms of memories here and I, I you can palpably feel it when you're sorting out children's drawings and exercise books with mums and of course I've got my own teenage son I do understand this I am not heartless I do have keepsake boxes <laughs> up in the loft but there are certain things that show character don't they they show yeah. part of who they are and there are lots and lots of things that they bring home from school that are just about rope learning that sort of thing so I was able to say your child a maths genius um, <laughs> you know was that a really important part of their life you know because the maths book might be important because yeah. of something I'd like to ask the question rather than go oh, the maths books <laughs> um, who needs Pythagoras <laughs> yeah, some particular, actually they yeah they were a genius at three and so we will yeah. keep those as evidence but um generally speaking there's lots that don't show character and choosing the special pictures is really helpful but there is a struggle internal struggle for people that they have a bit like photographs I find that as well Mm -hmm. you know having permission to say actually not all of them are as important and they can go then you've got a with keepsakes I always say the point is not only that they need to be special so they need to have been chosen in that way but they need to be accessible and if you keep everything and you haven't got a few keepsake boxes that are key memories then we'll never access them Mm. if our keepsakes of our kids is three quarters of the loft we won't engage in those things and the whole point of having these keepsakes is that we will engage with them they're not put into a back corner to be forgotten get eaten by mice if they're in my loft birds birds if they're in my loft we found a dead bird in ours so there we go yeah really useful storage company boxes i recommend for for that reason but we're supposed to get them out every now and again have a good look and the other reason i wanted to tell that story as well is because it struck me that um, I've got a terrible memory, <laughs> but um, there are certain things that are special to me. 
and I was meeting people who have exceptional memories for everything that was created but again just because you remember it doesn't make it a special memory so again it's just permission and having somebody as moral support when you put your children's pictures into the recycling is kind of important because again it's just about it's okay because you're keeping all of these brilliant ones that are going to be special and you're going to look at loads yeah mm. and then the focus is on that and not on the things that are going wrong yeah you're not saying goodbye to that memory are oh, you still got that memory you're just saying goodbye to those to those photos that you possibly will never never look at mm. yeah some good tips there and what were the boxes that you mentioned because I think I need some of those <laughs> really useful storage company boxes I, I use those because write I'm it down really, <laughs> they're very solid plastic boxes with clips so that's the name of them you're not just describing yeah. them as really yeah. useful they're actually they're called capital letters really useful really useful brilliant that's really worth knowing um and then <clears throat> we we look at steve in in the chapter heavily anchored uh where despite the fire hazards um in his bed sit um you said he humored you for a few months but he'd built too many barriers um literally uh, physically and sort of mentally and preferred everything to stay as it as it was um do you see this sort of very often well because Jasmine. quite a bit of our work is publicly funded i would mm. say the majority of our work is publicly funded projects to help people become safe it's not always been their idea to have me in right. so they've not woken up and thought i tell you what i need i need a professional declutterer it's come from their housing officer or social worker or somebody even a family member sometimes um, will, will suggest and bless him he did you know let me in the door he did let me return after the consultation for a yeah. session we did a few sessions so he was really brave that way because clearly he had things very ordered but very um uh untouched in his yeah. home um and this is what i wanted to represent that story because um when people start out for example in decluttering i think as well they you know think that every story is going to be everyone's going to be really grateful for stuff to come out of their home and of course in some circumstances um you really have to slow right down and listen to what the person's saying and be you know mindful of their cues i could have taken three quarters of that the contents of that bed sit out mm. um he didn't require them or they were food out, out of date or things that weren't required but he has to make the choices and I could advise and we could move some things around so it was more efficiently stored and we could, some things were okay, some things weren't, but it has to come from him. And in the mm. end, you could tell, I tell the story of when he had the five CD players or something mm. and, um, you know, you wouldn't necessarily need all five. I could tell in his mind he wanted to keep all five. And so also because this, the whole book is about this kind of power struggle that people have with belongings i just wanted to represent that sort of end of things um when we meet people for example um with cognitive processing issues or or in other cases people who've got mental health needs yeah that actually the barrier of letting things go is so profound that um they they the, the whole engaging with the decluttering process is really stressful for them yeah we not always, and I think it's important, and I wanted to reflect on this, that I don't always get it right. I am a person meeting this person for the first time. They don't perhaps even know themselves what their connection is with stuff until we're touching it. So it is a real interesting yeah. dance for somebody to, to do as much as they are comfortable with 
and then know when the limits are yeah brilliant and you you never know you might have just you might just sow that seed with that one person might you it might just be an element that's that that even though you can't do anything then and there that they might later on when they're ready be yeah, able to take away be, yeah be able to do something definitely I think that's, um, just to say I think that's quite heartening for family and friends as well who if they know anyone who is home is getting quite compromised that they yeah. I wanted to tell a story that says you know when it sometimes they don't really jump up and joy joy when you're helping them and it feels like it might be going backwards that is quite usual and not to feel disheartened um but that is you know that's part of the 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 way in which some people are connected to their stuff yeah got to be in their own in their own time i think one of one of our favorites one of my favorites were in uh, the chapter about enid good old enid (laughs) i loved enid and her bloody fur coat and i'd love you to tell the story bloody fur a mum mother's (laughs) bloody fur coat yeah i mean she was a a lovely client for whom yeah dealing with her mother's belongings um to move she was moving closer to family basically and this the situation where we'd opened a wardrobe and it's just a huge, huge fur coat. And I'm presuming in that moment that she wants to keep it. And she'd been quite quiet up to this point, sorting out clothing and so on. You know, yeah, exactly. As she said this, oh, that used to be my mother's. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a keepsake. I've definitely got to know how to keep fur well in lots. <laughs> and, uh, and she said, I always bloody hated it. <laughs> I it was really interested. And and again, about permission with us, yeah. you know, she was able to say, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to let that go. For somebody in their sort of 80s to, to, to show that flexibility in their, and that determination that actually, although it's there, I don't need it to be there. It was quite impressive. And you're right, of course, the, the great thing about her engaging in that process, not just, I don't know, she could put her options were she could have put everything in storage mm-hmm. and then it would have been left to another generation to try and sort through and goodness knows what they would have thought of the fur coat by that oh, exactly <laughs> narnia <laughs> but you know um um or you know i've had it all cleared but by engaging in it she was able to have those conversations about her memories and the good the bad the ugly yeah. and as you say fortunately by engaging us um because we're meticulous even at the end of the session an old cup sorting it out we found a keepsake that she forgot well she thought had gone and was really special to her so we were really lucky in that moment of sorting out she had well I don't want that because I always hated it but this thing was really special and I do want to keep that and I'm really amazed we found that and that's joyous and that's where you've got to be meticulous because yeah. that could have just been lost. If you like, my, my dad used to do tidying up and he'd just get fed up and he'd just grab a load of stuff. He, he's thrown out the TV remote, <coughs> the phone, the, you know, the mobile phone. He's chucked out so much just stuff a handful of it. just because he's, oh, I just got to get rid of it. But you've got to go through everything, yeah. haven't you? Meticulously. I mean, and there was a lovely, the lo- lovely end to Enid's story, wasn't it? Because she sold the house and she only took a small bag of keepsakes and a few boxes to her new home with her family and I love what you said there she she decided she did not need everything she had ever bought or been gifted to tell her who she was we gain a sense of ourselves through a constant dialogue with our belongings and that's so I love that sentence it's not who she is is it no. our things aren't who we are no, no and, and that it can change and like you say <clears throat> um you know how we feel about 
you know, keeping, uh, this is really sort of, because I was doing this yesterday, but how we, <laughs> for Clyde, but how we feel about having 20 baby grow, grows in our loft feels differently when our child is two, feels differently when they're 12, 22, but, and so on and so forth. So, you know, it is okay to evolve. I, I was speaking about, um, you know, when we used to do a lot of downsizing work with people who are much, much older, who would really agonize over getting rid of the 20 piece service, sorry, and where they used to put on big dinners. Now, they're not going to be doing that any further but by saying well you're never doing doing that again it's not it's not very um honoring of them as a person but again about permission to say it's okay that your role has changed you know that you used to do that and you've got some happy memories of that brilliant but your role has now changed and you're doing different things for your family and for you now and you don't I, I talk a lot about this in the book our belongings should be holding our hand to deliver the things that we want to do now and going forward yeah. and a bit of a nod to the to the past of course memories and so on that we shouldn't be carrying everything with us yeah. from every moment of our lives it'll be overwhelming so it's okay to adapt um, yeah acceptance I suppose yeah. isn't it accepting where you are right now rather than what you used to be or what used to define you um, in in the book, um, you talk about the Christmas <laughs> gifts and the unwrapped presents <laughs> that you find um, as you help some of your clients. Um, has this shaped your view on Christmas buying and, and Christmas decorations in your own home? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I joke in the book that Christmas is a little bit ruined for me. Much like, <laughs> much like shopping has been ruined for me. But um, in, all, in all seriousness, I mean, like, there were whole swathes of my career where I, I couldn't actually go into any shops with all the Christmas, <laughs> they had all the Christmas decorations on because I would see it all all year round. Um, it has a, I mean, like many people are actually finding that they, they're chatting to me now and say, oh, you know, we think about phasing out presents for, you know, extended family, but to have a conversation about it, because that's the thing is to have the conversation about it. Uh, we're thinking about doing more meeting up and having experiences together instead of stuff. And I love that because, again, Mm. it's all part of my ethos that the stuff should be helpful to us. The thing I find most difficult about um, Christmas when we go around the shops is the um, generic presents that people give because they don't know the person very well or they don't know what they want and they're just fillers. Because I then have to take them out of people's homes and take them to charity or take them to landfill because they people will find it really hard to let those things go because they've been gifted them but they've perhaps not been gifted to them with the knowledge of what they really Really want to hide there's no new criticism that's just the way things go with families but I would say to anyone the moment you're reaching for a generic gift which is factories that are set up for these things and they just end up (laughs) churning them out yeah if you're going for a generic one either stop and particularly ask that person what they would like to have or do something with them instead because those those things are just going to reside in the back of cupboards and it's not doing anyone any favors no no my mum and dad always always used to say just get me a nice card and when I was 
younger I used to think well that's not because I wanted presents all I wanted was presents <laughs> to open. I couldn't, yeah couldn't understand why they just want a nice card now I'm getting older and I just think give me a nice don't card give me more stuff I don't need any more shit <laughs> an experience you got a lot or a full card. Of it. I've got a lot I have and I so I can I get it completely <laughs> so important those experience and memories cards and they're very easy to store yes (laughs) yes much easier than than an unwanted gift so do most of your clients um keep to the tools that you've given them or have you ever had to return jasmine there are occasions where we have to return um where perhaps we were commissioned to do a short-term mm. project we i'm thinking about it because i'm going to see somebody this week who we saw four years ago um you know because of the way things are publicly funded and this is not the podcast for me to unleash my feelings about that but um often they're short-term projects and we can make recommendations that the person probably needs ongoing work and the one of the biggest changes for us over the last five years particularly has been an acknowledgement with some of these um situations which are quite um um pronounced crisis cases is that just making them a little bit safe is not going to be sustainable they do need ongoing habit changing work where we go through their stuff monthly over a year maybe two years and so on and that's where we see real change actually and real engagement with people who've got you know it's taken them 20 years 30 years 40 years to get to this stage we're not going to have it sorted out in Mm. a month so we sometimes go back to people where we've made recommendations, perhaps not got the ongoing support and we're going back to do another project, but we'll make an even more strong case that this person might need regular, regular involvement. And we def- but we've definitely got clients, for example, who commissioned us what they thought was going to be, I don't want to put people off, but they thought was going to be a short project for them, realised when they start getting into it, it's a bit like personal training, isn't it? Yeah. You know? It's like you, oh, I want to train for this uh, this event. I'm going to get a personal trainer because I, I just need to get this done. And then when we have a personal trainer, potentially, we realize how much more it does for us and actually how important it mm. is for yeah. our motivation and, um, and our progress. And we might continue with them regularly long term. And by recommending <clears throat> and hopefully going back into some of these homes, Surely, surely that is you know um more sustainable financially isn't it for for the for whoever's paying for it whether it's social services or whoever because you know it's going to prevent further things happening down down the line either in hospital or fire hazards things things like this so um case stands for itself but you know times are difficult there are a lot of competing demands that people have and their health needs and so on and so forth um, we know we do more than just a little bit of dusting around. This is this is like you say, crucial preventing people yeah. from ending up in hospital sort of situations where we would make this this recommendation. And- so if <laughs> someone this might be quite helpful if somebody that's listening feels um, as though their possessions are starting to overwhelm them. Um, and there are there any tips that you can give them to prevent their homes and lives getting out of hand? Yeah, I think there's a a couple of things. I mean, straight off the bat, I would say the the whole power play about belongings being in your home and having the say, you can tell from the tone of my book, I really want to challenge that. That if, you know, our lives are are too important for our stuff to be telling us whether they're good or not, um, you have to be in a kind of fairly good place in order to to assert your sense of me and mine 
um, me and myself over the things that are in your home. I appreciate that. But engaging with our stuff with a sense of curiosity, so rather than feel like it's a moral issue. <laughs> um, I, there's a brilliant pod, the TED Talk, what, how to do your laundry when you're depressed. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> I've, I've seen to, it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, it, yeah. I yeah. really like that because the line that's taken <clears> from you is that the, the household chores are not, are not a moral issue and t- making it neutral um, helps. And I thought this is exactly what I've been trying to say, which is engaging with our stuff. What's in that corner? I'm going to have a little look and tricking our brain into saying, I'm just going to have a little see, a little audit, a little have a little sort out if there's anything I find that can go out I'll, I'll deal with it then but to engage with curiosity helps us have the right mindset for it if we go in and go well our half of this has got to go otherwise I'm just not I'm failing as a person we're not going to be in the right mindset so that's the psychological side yeah. but I would definitely say don't be afraid to ask for help whether that be a trusted friend family member you want somebody who's likes you doesn't like organizing stuff that's if you've got a great friend who says, I can really get going with this with you, just decide they have to match your pace. Yeah. They have to do it the way you want to do it. And if you only want to do a little bit, you only want to do a little bit. But they're more excited about you doing it with them than they are about creating an entire clear room straight away or whatever it might be you're trying to achieve. And of course, do take advice if you want to. This is not a big push for me, but from professional organisers. We are all over the country APDO, the Association of Professional Declutterers and Organisers UK, that's APDO, has got a find an organiser button on its front page. You put in your postcode, it will tell you who your nearest professional, organ- and I say organiser, but we're organisers and declutterers are in your area. There's nothing stopping you from having an informal chat. No oblig- All of us do no obligation chats. Um, and some of us have got resources. I've got resources on my website as well to help people who want to do it themselves we definitely want people to feel like they can make a start if they wish but don't be afraid to ask for assistance we've got a particular challenge here in in the west country that a lot of the of people struggle um with their stuff behind closed doors and nobody knows how overwhelming it's becoming for them or the the person themselves is embarrassed and thinks it is a moral issue it is not Mm -hmm. it's something you can ask for help for um, with people that you trust and, and know and get things back for yourself so you're back in uh, on track and you can do things for yourself then uh, much more straightforwardly Brilliant. because it is it is your home at the end of the day it's not a show home is it and I, I know some of anyone else's going home. right back to the beginning at <clears> some of these programs it does they do look like a show home and you start to think gosh is that what my house have has to look like I like a home to look live look like a home look mm. lived in it's got to have a bit of personality hasn't it a bit of dust I like a bit of dust in yeah. my home <laughs> oh that's why that's why you like my house <laughs> <laughs> oh so so Jasmine your book is available in all good bookshops yeah. It's available online. So it's um, oh. Amazon have got it on uh, Kindle and paperback and Waterstones online have got it um, online for, for purchase. So um, if people are in other countries, it's still available through all the normal online book retailers pretty there's a long list of them lovely we'll put a little link to we'll that put as a well link to that. and it's not a it's not a great big book it's a nice little uh, doable handbag size yeah, it is you could just <laughs> flick through it and yeah. learn learn some tips and you can just and... pick up a story you know just 
chop and change your stories, can't you? It's, it's very, it is very emotive. We, we, we loved it. Where can people find you if they want to get hold of you? So obviously through the APDO uh, website, but you've got your own website too. Yeah, so I'm Change Your Space. That's the name of my business. Not, but remember, my book is called Being Owned because it's, yeah, business is called Change Your Space. Um, if you look at that website, it's got all sorts of free resources for people. There's a planner there. There's some um, articles. You know, if somebody has got a family member who is who they consider to be hoarding, there's advice and so on there. But yeah, um, by all means, have a look at that. I'm also on Instagram, uh, Change Your Space Devon. Um, Wonderful. Jasmine, thank, thank you. you. Can I just say, I just absolutely love the, la- I made a little note of this, the language that you use. It's really, it's, it's so not judgy and it's, 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 yeah, really open and, and honest. And mm. it was, yeah, it was just a lovely conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Jasmine. We'll, we'll see you. Um, Jasmine lives in Devon, obviously. So, you know, we might see you in um, a nice coffee shop somewhere soon. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> thank you, Jasmine. book collective so rebel bodies a guide to the gender health gap a revolution by sarah graham and we are on chapter eight baby blues perinatal care and the price of motherhood and we're furious absolutely furious this week yeah yeah steaming yeah but just before we go into chapter eight we've had a um a comment who uh, from aline who's reading along with us um about last week's about the big the big c so um she says uh, again research is disproportionately underfunded for the less mediatic female cancers and focusing on treatment rather than prevention and early detection which if addressed would lead to an increase in positive outcomes such as quality of life, well-being rather than a pure focus on statistical longevity. That always gets me. Mm-hmm. What's the fucking point in living longer, <laughs> but with such reduced quality of life? Sorry, I'm off on a tangent again. Oh. I completely that this is how we go, Alina. Completely yeah. get it. You know. Yeah, absolutely. But we're not given the choice. That's the thing. It's yeah. up to us then. Most definitely. So going back to this chapter, Gents, how did you get on? Well, apart from massively, there's so much in this chapter. Oh, isn't there? Oh. Well, I, you know, I, I read through it the night before and I underline bits I want to talk about. I've practically underlined the whole chapter, oh. which I know we can't talk about. But so let's just cherry pick out what was let's the most curious. Che- yes, let's cherry pick. So she starts the, the chapter by wondering what pregnancy and childbirth might look like if men gave birth. <laughs> um, oh, well, yeah. we know that old Ex- chestnut. Exactly. And um, she talks about the whole new layer of gendered baggage that comes with motherhood. And then she gets straight in, doesn't she, with yep. the way women have been dismissed during tar- childbirth with some horrific stories from her hysterical women blogs. Um, and also from the founder of perinatal human rights charity, Birth writes uh, Rebecca Schiller, where she says, besides the natural risks of injury or complications associated with childbirth, there are issues around informed consent, obstetric violence and birthing people being coerced, dismissed or ignored, all of which contribute to the estimated 30,000 traumatic births each year in the UK basically that's what that's that's what this whole chapter is about all those things isn't it yeah it is what stood out for you well well mostly all All of of it it. (laughs) and and I think every, every woman that or every person that has given birth will have a story every every story is personal 
and I think that consent thing and is 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 completely normalised, though, isn't it? Yeah. That you that you don't have consent. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's almost, yeah. I was just looking for the story. Bear with. Well, just while we bear Go with, on. I'm going to come up with with one statistic that really. Uh, well, it didn't really surprise me, unfortunately. That's the way we we know these things happen now. It's horrifying data from um, the, a UK programme highlights racial biases, again, making black mothers four times more likely to die during pregnancy and labour, with Asian mothers twice as likely. What the heck is that all about? I don't know. It's about the, about the women just not being listened to. Yeah. Um, when when they're in when they're in labor uh, there was a lovely story from about from tanuk so she so she's she's began campaigning uh tanuk on black women's maternal health after the traumatic birth of her first child she says it was my first time so i was quite quite scared anyway and didn't really know what to expect like all of us the midwife who induced me reassured me it would let, take at least 24 hours so she had to be induced but within four or five hours, she was feeling quite a lot of pain. I was dismissed. Yeah. I wasn't even checked or given any pain relief because nobody believed I was in labor. It wasn't until hours later when I was literally bent over double on the toilet, vomiting profusely, that my waters had broken and the midwife checked me. So at this point, Tanuk was eight centimeters dilated. And she says she'll never forget the look of shock on the midwife's face, she says, and the window of opportunity for any pain relief had been missed. Um, although she was finally rushed to the delivery suite, Tanuk was now too exhausted to push. And her baby was back to back, so head down with the, the back. Mm. So I yeah. had that as well, this baby's spine. with My first one had to be, so had to be removed by forceps. Um Fortunately, Tanuk and her baby were fine, but she found the experience so stressful and traumatic that she couldn't wait to get out of the hospital. And she now uh, runs, Tanuk now runs a meetup group called Mums and Tea. Brilliant. Which I think you just, you just need those safe spaces to talk about those, those birthing uh, issues. I, definitely. I just want, the reason this resonated with me, I am, remember, I'm white and not black. So things are going to be, yeah. you know, that much better for me. Yeah even in my situation. So it resonated with me because I was, t I was induced like Tanuk. Um, it was my third child, not my first. And again, they always tell you it'll, it'll be days you're induced, but you'll be here for days before you. Right. So third child, I, I have fast labors. You're, you're a quick birth. I am a quick, but I told them it will, it, once it starts, it will probably be quick because my last two were. So bearing in mind, I had told them this, John was told to go home. <laughs> Luckily, I was by the window and he hid behind the curtain because I said to him, if you go, you will miss his birth. Yeah. I know it's, yeah. it's not long. I went to the toilet, Lou. My waters broke. Like Tanooks. Like Tanooks. I came out of the toilet, said there was only an auxiliary there. And I said, my waters have just gone. I'm going to, I need to push. And she, do you know what she said? Go and get back on the bed and keep your legs closed. Oh, that'll stop it. 39 minutes. And I tore, I had to have an episiotomy. I gave birth in what I call a cupboard. But they, wow. I couldn't, I couldn't get, they couldn't get me to the labor ward because it was there. I had, could have no pain relief. And all the time, Lou, I had told them I will be fast. I might want some pain relief. No. Because they didn't listen. You knew your body and they didn't listen. No. And that was my third time. So if that's my third, they're never going to listen to Tanuk. A who black was, woman. Who was black and it's her first, first child. child. 
It's, yeah. Oh, angers me. She talks about BPAS, this um, oh, yes. Yes, uh, yes, yes. British pregnancy advice uh, service, rather. And their chief executive, Claire Murphy, says, while most women obviously want the best for their pregnancy, the focus is on the fe- fetus is sometimes at the expense of maternal auto- autonomy and health. Um, and how um, like the things like the thalidomide drug um, oh, yeah. as, as the, the biggest man-made medical disaster ever have made doctors really cautious about prescribing anything even if you have that awful thing that uh kate had the real sickness I can't yeah what it's HG, called. it was hg, HG. Yeah, yeah that's right lou it's, another thing did you on. read the bit about the carbon monoxide we never had this oh, i've underlined this oh i've underlined gosh. because actually right, you tell tell the they, i'm gonna find it is. i'm gonna find it they don't do not so when you're going for your um antenatal checks or perinatal checks they, call they don't them do as many of now no no absolutely not so they they obviously do blood tests and your wee sample and they ask you if you smoke no i don't smoke or we don't believe you they don't say that but they give you a carbon monoxide test to yeah. see if you're smoking so they don't even listen because no. they call, they're actually calling you a fucking liar yeah and what they're going to do if they have got carbon monoxide in there they're obviously going to tell you to stop but i mean you know you shouldn't be smoking. But why but are they, what, if you why say no, why, yeah. if you say no, yeah. this could almost go, it got me, it almost goes back to consent. Yeah, completely. If yeah. you say no, I'm not smoking, and they still do the test. Mm. Yeah. Again, it's, so again it's, it's the word no is not taken in the context. That two letter word is not taken in the context that it is meant. It's taken as a, don't believe you. Well, we'll just do a test anyway, yeah. just to check. Well, why oh, do you she says no. Well, maybe we can, still can. Yeah. Well, the connotations and, are huge And again, that. it goes back to this, it's the safety of the baby yeah. over everything else. I mean, no woman wants, you know, we all want our babies to be safe. But at what point, yeah. you know, do, it's like alcohol. She mentions alcohol in there. Really, there's no reason that no. women can't drink alcohol throughout but, their pregnancy. And, and to be sensible that you're not going to drink a bottle of wine. Exactly. Just, and, I, you know, the old glass of wine maybe with a meal or... But because women can't be trusted to do, to, that, to do that, they've got to say zero. Yeah. You can have Where zero that, alcohol. Where does that come from? We can't trust you the to make your own choices. Patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they strike absolutely, again. Absolutely awful. Oh. And just and one thing Go on. more because Go it, on, because we'll be here forever. We will. Because it's, it's just. I know. I've got I've got reams here, Lou. You might have one more thing. But I want to mention pages. this carriage and, and people. PTSD oh, yes. because um, there's still not enough. Again, we're talking about moving forward. This is still going backwards. I had a miscarriage 18 years ago, um, nearly 19 years ago, and even back then there was no emotional support afterwards. No, um, you, no explanation given. Um, your, I found out in the hospital when you go for a scan. I was ushered out back into the same waiting room where you've got all where I was just in waiting for my lovely little scan of my baby. You know, you're, yeah. so you're put out in this room with all these people after this horrendous news, um, and then just told you've got to make an appointment now, not for your next check because you know you've had a miscarriage for a dnc or whatever it's called now for a scrape you've got to get rid what of a lovely everything. word lovely scrape word. lovely word. but then there's a story and i can't find her name now about somebody who had to go through her miscarriage on a hospital bed yes awful you know surrounded by other people it's just 
It's horrific. It's it's almost again one of those things that's normalized because it is common. It's just well, that's just something. Yeah, just get over it. You'll have another child. You or what? Lot people. Oh, you got others. It's okay. Let alone the the emotional the emotional trauma that you've gone through, the hormones running through your body for one, the emotions of that loss for two, you know, and the indignity. Yeah. Of having to go through all that. Yeah. In front of everyone else. Yeah. Horrific. And we're talking about the gender health gap. It's, you're then expected, I think you're now, you're only given time off if you have a miscarriage over 24 weeks. Oh, yeah. You so you're to... then expected, you have, I think, two days off, something like that. You're yeah. then expected just to trot back into yeah. work. Off you pop. It's Your no, life's it's no, just it's, been you know, it's no wonder changed. a lot of us are fucked. Yeah. I know. And again, also in this chapter we're not we can't go into it now but incontinence <laughs> yeah there's so many stats of incontinence oh. here um we want we're going to be talking you to utis a bit more next season next aren't season, we next yes. season but um, series. um oh my god one in three mums have postnatal incontinence yes that does that that actually the statistic did not shock me at all no because we you know i mean last week i i came when i came up i mean i'm 27 years past my first yeah. birth I mean, I had granola for breakfast. I coughed, peed my pants. Oh, you did. You had to change your pants when you sort got yourself <laughs> out. Sat next to poor old Jins and then went, oh, I don't think I put any deodorant on. I must have been so <laughs> pissy in BFBO. But you know what? She's my mate. She didn't She didn't know. So it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's, and we've normalized, or it's been normalized. We haven't normalized yeah. it. It's been normalized. And so luckily, that we all we, think and it's And I think okay. we, we laugh about it because we're friends. But I'd yeah. have been mortified if I'd have been out in a different yeah. different surroundings yeah. yeah so our next chapter is chapter nine yes and it's entitled it oh god it's entitled death means we believe you now neurotic mothers in healthcare I'm, I'm just I'm just so angry at the blooming title so I can't wait to read that yes the anger continues it does Right, we've just about calmed down now a little bit, haven't we? <laughs> taking a breath. About, taking a few moments. Had a little cookie. Um, how was your WI, your bra fitting? Well, I didn't do the bra fitting mm-hmm. because I just completely ran out of time. But I did sort my bras out, my brassiers oh, how did sorted. You get All right, there were some at the back that, well, they were Seen better days. Seen better days. And from when I was, you know... <laughs> Not so ample bezwarmed so. <laughs> as I am now, um, which I realized when I put them on didn't even cover a nipple. So <laughs> so I had a good sort out of, of my bras, but I didn't actually do a bra fitting. Although I do, I put it on my list of things I want to do in the next month to actually get that yeah. bra fitted. How, how about you? Yeah, I had a good, I had a good sort Jim out. Rummage? I had a good old rummage through, chucked some old, old ones, um, you know, because again, like we talked with Annie, you tend to keep some bras for best, don't you? And I thought, why am I just, why don't you just chuck all those old yeah. ones and you use all the nice ones? Got rid of a few kind of, in inverted commas, sexy ones that have been bought over the years that I've never worn and never likely to wear now. So I got rid of those. Sod the oh, sexy. Sod the sexy. They've got, unless they're sexy and comfortable, you know, yeah. you can stick them. Um, so yeah, I, I feel a lot more comfortable now. Good. Did you me. get a bra fitting? 
No, I did. I didn't. I, again, like you, I need to. It needs to be planned, doesn't it? Doesn't it need, need, need to, to be planned? It. So we, yes, maybe but, we need to do a trip into yes. the big city to get one sorted. Yeah, let's do that. So I thought, as we're talking decluttering and going on from Annie and um, not your usual menopause, the lovely Rachel, when she said about her jumper drawer, mm. I think it'd be really nice as we're going stepping into spring. Yes, we're not quite warm enough yet. Stepping into spring, I think I'd like to set you a little wy, just a nice simple one. Go through your jumpers, your winter yeah. jumpers. Go through your drawers, sort them out. Maybe find some good ones and then um, charity shop or yeah. vint, vinted. vinted. I might be like Rachel, find an old favourite jumper oh, yeah. somewhere in there. That so, so nice. yeah, so sort your jumper drawer out. Get yourself ready for spring. Great, Lou. Will do. I believe it's your turn for a quote this week. It is. So have you heard of Gina Dunn or G.D. Anderson, as her pseudonym is? Don't think I have. Well, it's a shame I hadn't either. I found the quote and then looked into who she was, actually, or who she is, sorry. So um, Gina is an Australian feminist. She's only in her thir- early 30s, and she's also an author and a founder of the Cova Project, which gives access to sanitary products and educates women and girls on menstruation in Africa. Oh, good So for she's her. an amazing woman. Fantastic. So the quote I have for thee this week, feminism isn't about making women stronger. Women are already strong. It's about changing the way the world perceives that strength. What a week again, Lou. Well, we hope your tea's not gone cold and that you'll join us next Sunday for The Collective. We would love you to subscribe, favourite and review our podcast. It really helps us spread the word. Please head over to our Instagram page, Womenkind Collective, to leave comments or DM us with your thoughts or watch us and our guests on our Womenkind Collective YouTube channel. And lastly, you will find all the links, recipes, guest details and our hashtag Where's My Clinic campaign, the petition for a menopause clinic in Devon, on the podcast show notes. Great. Thanks, Lou. I'm going to go and eat that final cookie on the plate. You have a cookie. I'll get the kettle on oh, and go and lovely. check me jumpers out. Mm-hmm.